Uh, welcome back to the Think Education podcast, joined today by colleague, but uh, I think we can say old friend in terms of not either you or I, but the duration of our friendship, uh, I think is legitimate. Um, I'm joined by Joyce Achenpong, who I've known for um, quite a few years now. Um, we first met when I was uh, working in Malaysia. Um, and Joyce came along um, in her role then as Director for Engagement of the Association of Commonwealth Universities, um, running a, an international research conference. Um, she asked, I guess, worked with my boss, then my boss handed it down and then I handed it down. And, and when all the important people were busy, it got to me. And it was, uh, that was fantastic because it was the beginning of a, of a, a fantastic relationship. Uh, Joyce is the Associate Director for EMEA at Business for Societal Impact and the executive director and founder of Pivot Global Education Consulting. Uh, in addition, I think I'm right in saying you're, you're a member of the external advisory board member of the Perivoli Africa Research Centre. Um, and as I said, I, I first met uh, Joyce when she was working uh, for the Association of Commonwealth Universities. Joyce has extensive experience in impact assessment and delivery in international education, um, both from skills and development perspective. She's an expert in design and delivery of learning program development, monitoring and evaluation with experience across sectors, nations, uh, I think effectively the globe at this point. Um, I guess most notably, perhaps um, for stuff that I'm aware of, you know, is, is within African nations, you know, where some recent projects include uh, looking at social enterprise in Ethiopia and Sudan, promoting gender equality and STEM research in Egypt. Uh, entrepreneurship in South Africa and, and skills evaluation and development in sub-Saharan Africa. Through Joyce's work as an international consultant over the past, I suppose, six or seven years, she's worked with, I think, almost all the major international funders at this point, you know, World Bank, British Council, MasterCard, among others, and higher education institutions to design and deliver uh, development projects that specifically have grassroots level impact on capacity building, socioeconomic impact, uh, educational development, and again, uh, a focus on entrepreneurship and, and leadership. So very much a, um, I was just about to say woman of the people, and it sounded so weird in my head, but I said it anyway. Um, yes, yeah, so very much a uh, uh, looking at uh, issues on the ground and, and trying to work out how best to support these. Um, and so it's it's a great pleasure to to, to have you on, Joyce, and uh, thank you very much for, for your time. And I'll try and... I've got a few stories about our, our previous experiences, but I'll try and keep them to a minimum so people can actually hear your insight and expertise. Um, but uh, thank you very much for coming on, Joyce. I was wondering if you, you might, maybe just to start us off, you could give us a bit of um, more professional context to, to what it is that you do rather than my... my um, bumbling and, and wondering um, how, I can, how I can try and bring it back to, to the last place you and I were, were lucky enough to have dinner together um, and talk about you know, development and entrepreneurship, which I guess was Ghana, perhaps? Um, uh, yes, 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 physically. It's always weird when someone else reads your accolades out to you. Oh, um, I know. Because you're like, oh, yeah, I did that. Uh, I did yeah. that as well, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've also been involved in that. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, like you said, it's very much around um, monitoring, evaluation, impact assessment as well, too. Um, the skills and uh, employability space is sort of where I'm really interested, um, just the nature of the world of work, uh, what it looks like, uh, who the players are involved. 
um, and just what it means for young people. Um, you know, what does it actually mean in terms of where they're going to in their careers, especially young people who are in formal and those who are in um, who are not in education. What does the future hold for them, and and how can we design programs, design education systems, so that they feel included and so that they are ready to take on the next level of work, um, which. I think if you were to ask most people's grandparents, you know, what does your grandson, daughter, uh, person do? They would say, I don't know, but they work with computers or I don't know. Yeah. They are on Instagram or I don't know. They, you know, they, they've got no concept of what work looks like now and what jobs look like now. So, um, yeah, that's that's where my, where my passion lies. It's I mean, it's it's a great point, isn't it? That um, I mean, for a start, I was curious when we say young people how are we defining that, right? Because that's, you know, conversations you and I have had in the past, yes. and indeed there are different metrics for this. So I'm, I, I'm a, I think at that point in my life and career where young is not me, right? So I'm, I'm, I've accepted that <laughs> young is others. Um, but what, what sort of thing, when you're, when you're working with these sort of definitions, what are you working with? So there's two definitions of young, according to, depending on who you sort of follow. Um, in the work that I do on the African continent, young is between the ages of uh, 16 and 27. Um, and that, I believe, is the AU, African Union's definition. And then you've got the water UN definition, uh, where young people are, I believe it's 15 to 30. So quite a widespread <laughs> yeah. in terms of what one considers young. Um yeah, so I'd like to like to think that I'm young, but um, every so often I I uh, get reminded that I'm not as young as I think I am. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny because the point you know you're saying about what what a grandparent understands that their their kids are doing, and I mean I mean I think that's probably can almost be extended now to parents and and kids, right? And it's funny because I was playing a, um, a, a travel game with. Um, uh, my daughter and and uh, some friends of hers last summer, and it's a it's a little metal tin, and there are cards inside, and you you flip over the card, and there are pictures and letters, uh, and so you have to you know um, you'll flip it over, and and the co- the corresponding color is what you have to guess. So for example, it'll be uh, a job, right, um, beginning with the letter O, for example, and and then you flip over the next card, and it's a sport beginning with the letter P, that type of thing, right, and one of the one of the other children in the in the game uh it was a job beginning with c and they said content creator and i said well that's not a job and then i thought nope that's a that's an incredibly lucrative and very real job you know i think i was thinking chiropractor or something i mean you know there's a very different generational uh, uh approach to this um and i mean it's in some cases it's not just that you know there's a misunderstanding or a, a lack of understanding as to what the jobs are. There's, in some cases, even if you hear the word, you don't necessarily know what that that means. Um, so, um, yeah. How- and also job versus career. I think that is also an issue as well. So, you know, we said you said the content creator. Yes, it was a job. Yeah, it's a, it's a job. Um, would you classify it as a career in terms of how we typically think of careers? Maybe not, um, because, you know, there's, I, and, you know, still, I think jury's still out, whether it's uh, something someone can do until retirement age or, you know, who knows, it could be so lucrative that you could retire by 40 and, mm. and, and find something else. But 
that also too is a change in nature of work is that we we young people <laughs> no longer see it so much as a career as much as they see jobs and they're trying to sort of acquire uh information and skills as they go from job to job to job it used to be quite frowned upon to be uh, a job hopper as they called it but now it's you know you get in you gain the skills you gain the understanding you gain the connections and then you sort of grow and develop and i know what i'm saying is also from a very western lens the ability to be able to do that and a lot of the work that i do in sub-saharan africa and and south asia is looking at the difficulty of getting people actually into jobs um so to them the idea of career is still great because it means um stability and it means prosperity um versus i guess in the western world you have a bit more flexibility in terms of there are more jobs out there there are more abilities to create work for yourself um and that's sort of the work that I'm doing in those regions I'm I'm trying to work very closely with the development agencies and the education uh, providers to actually create the space and the ability for that to be a reality in those countries as well yeah i mean that's that's a very interesting point isn't it that you know in some cases it's simply access to jobs right you know because the job equals as you say a level of stability certainly some form of 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 income um i mean we're not talking about in in i guess in many of the areas where you've done work we're not talking about things like health insurance we're not talking about pensions we're talking about the the day to day you know support um that that, that it provides mm-hmm. so uh, does that give obviously it must do but how how does that give a, a different approach to this sort of notion of 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 jo- I don't know job or work or you know um cuz uh, what we hear a lot now here particularly in the in the university you know sector as well you know people graduating now you know or they don't know how to work and they don't want to work or or they want to work only the way that they want to work and you know and then the flip side of that conversation is well now there's a greater focus on mental health and there's a greater focus on you know um work life balance and there's a greater you know understanding of these sort of issues that aren't perhaps traditionally um understood so you know do you see a marked difference in 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 nations where you do work um what it means to i guess work job and what even the the notion of skills is i mean is is that a a, a more not postmodern construct but i mean is that something that we're more focused on because of as you say this nature of job of job hopping Yeah, um I say in the countries that I worked in it very much is a matter of because it is it's a subsistence thing when it comes to to working. And not to say that it's not um like that uh, in the global north, but it's much more, you know, the security systems aren't there, like so the pensions aren't there, the healthcare system isn't there. So a lot of things that you do are tied to the work that you do or tied to the money you get from the work. In terms of the skills and sort of what's different, it's I would say it's the same kind of everywhere in terms of what they're looking for. um it is the creative thinking skills it's you know maturity innovative innovativeness um attitude um entrepreneurial potential as well and i say entrepreneurial and also entrepreneurial so the ability to not only create work for yourself and think people always you know use the word term side hustle um but when is a side hustle move from a side to being you know your livelihood um and uh and, and entrepreneurship so what can you think of within the work that you're doing creatively that can build on what you're doing what you know um i think it really does come down to sort of 
I guess, I guess youth these days in terms of skills and, and employability are kind of going around with a briefcase for uh, a way to, to date myself there um, and acquiring sort of skills along the way that will hopefully help them get to where they want to be. Um, and then you're saying about, you know, is the work ethic different? I think it's just a matter of we're so ingrained that work looks like X ah. that when people come and challenge that, we kind of go, oh, no, oh, you know, they don't want to work. Oh, they, you know, they, they, all they yeah. want to do is stay home and play video games and, you know, work two hours a day or, you know, they want to be in Bora Bora um, sitting on the beach and, and, you know, enjoying the sunshine when they should be in the office and, you know, slugging it out like the rest of us. Um, yeah, so I, I think that is, is definitely um, something that's very different in that sense. It's curious, I think, that, um, that that last point you're making about, you know, it doesn't look the way work traditionally looks. And, and what I find curious is that we've kind of gone backwards post-COVID. So obviously work in whatever form it took during COVID pretty much didn't look like anything it had done before. You know, um, okay, yes, delivery people, yes, medical, yes, yes, there were certain professionals who were, but I mean, for a lot of society, it was completely displaced and completely different. And things happened and things got done and, you know, and the world, for lack of a better word, kept moving. And then we sort of, we stopped and he said, well, no, yeah. now you've got to be back in your office because otherwise you're not working. And you think, well, A, I mean, that's a problem of trust, right? That's, a, that's, a, that's an issue there we need to consider. But it, it's also, well, having had those lessons of the world can look differently and we can still move up through work, you know, well, why not, why not continue to explore, explore those ideas? Um, and yeah. I find it really, really quite strange that, you know, we're still holding on to yesterday, right? And we're not in the world of yesterday at all. Yeah. So it's... Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a comfort thing, I would say. Um, if you think about even during the pandemic, I know there were some points where, you know, they were saying people will, will rewatch old movies or old television shows that bring them comfort because, you know, it's the thing of stability. I think we've kind of gone back to that whereby we're thinking, okay, work has to look like this. It has to be nine to five in the office, commuting, you know, all of that. Even though, like you said, we've proof of concept is exists and it's, it's there and it was shown and things kept going. Um, but now we want to revert back to the, what was safe back in the day. You know, let's, let's forget the blip that was, in the, that was COVID and let's go back to the way things were because we know that way. We're, we were so conditioned in that way mm. that we now want to keep push that back onto onto young people um, and make sure that they, you know, like, well, I had to do it, so do they, um, which is hmm. kind of a, a prevailing attitude in a lot of, uh, a lot of um, work situations whereby, you know, the growth mentality of it is, yeah, it was hard for me, but now it's slightly easier for them. I, you know, I've, I've helped pave the way in the work that I've done or in, in you know, the research that I've done, whatever it might be. Let me allow them to use it as a stepping stone. I think people don't necessarily people don't necessarily want to think that way just think it's it's if it was hard for me it should be hard for them and they'll grow and develop just like i did even though um you know the world is completely different than it was um however many years ago when when most of us started working so yeah let's not count yeah a little while ago right <laughs> so, somewhere pre-pandemic um, that's that's good enough yeah exactly um, exactly so i mean how what do you think is going to change this you know i mean uh, are we coming? Because we've talked about this in, in the past about this, um, you know, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this sort of the possible disconnect between, I guess, 
the skills that are being taught, particularly at, at higher education university level, um, and, and then the skills that are being needed, or the, sorry, that are needed in, in the workforce, however it's defined. Um, and, you know, your reflections on on that sort of in light of the, your, your previous comments, given that we're holding on to something that's established, which makes sense. It's quality assured. You know, it's it's tested. Uh-huh. It's tried. Uh-huh. It was good enough for me. It's good enough. You know, I mean, it, that, that's all very logical um, and indeed sensible in many ways. Right. But also completely idiotic in the face of, you know, what's outside the window. So, um, yeah, I was just wondering what your reflections were on, you know, if there is a disconnect, you know, what do we do about it? You know, what, where we might be moving? Um, and again, you know, is this a, is this a global issue? I mean, I, I was really struck when you said, uh, you know, we, we were talking again about the insurance issues and, and, uh, and security, you know, that's maybe more present in the global north. I think we could probably come up with some countries in the global north where that's not remotely <laughs> true either, right? So it's, it's maybe, there may be maybe more, more of an issue across um, than we, that we'd like to acknowledge. Um, sorry, I'm, 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 here we go. This is me digressing now and just chatting about other stuff all at the same time. Um, yeah, so yeah, your, your insight and reflections on, on um, you know, is formal education preparing people, you know, in terms of skill development? Um, and, you know, if so, how? And if not, well, you know, what, what, what can we think about, about doing? Um, I would say for the most part, it's not. Um, so the work, you know, the research we did with the Department of Higher Education and Training um, in South Africa and um, uh, EDHE um, kind of showed that in terms of what's the support systems for young people who either want to start their own business um, or who are looking to even get into the world of work, um, the support systems in terms of what the government's providing, in terms of civil society, in terms of what the universities are providing, are so disconnected that I think people don't know where to go. And it is in itself a full-time job trying to figure out how to make this all work. Um, You know, it's not only society that's changed, it's actually the nature of work and the kind of work that we're doing that has changed. You know, we still are led very much by um, a knowledge economy. And even in developing countries, uh, knowledge economy is is growing. Um, Not to say that there isn't uh, the need for, uh, let me rephrase that. Knowledge economy is growing in everywhere, in every way. So even in things like the agrarian sector, there is more technology coming in to, um, you know, crops in terms of diversity of crops, in terms of, water retention, because there are areas where, you know, access to water is quite limited. Um, so how do you then grow crops that can uh, withhold, or sorry, sustain um, drought? How, you know, even the movement of water between places in terms of the fruit and vegetables that have that go from place to place, that is all something in terms of when you're thinking about work, you know, it's not just a matter of going, picking up um, a potato out of the ground, or picking an apple off of a tree. There's a lot of things that go into making sure that actually happens. So it's a very different system and way of thinking of it. And the incentivization in terms of the education, formal education side, is it's not really there. It's you're there to teach what you're supposed to teach, and then that's it. So you teach them something, they write it down, remember it, and then they go off to something else. There's not really a connection between, okay, so I'm, I'm showing you this, tell me how you can apply this to... 
um, again, agriculture, tell me how you can apply it to water, tell me how you can apply it to the issues that are taking place in your community. So, you know, whether that be um, women's education, whether that be a, a health issue, it's very much sort of, we're teaching you this, tell me what I've just told you, very good, here you go, onward to the next thing. And now you're ready for the world of work because I taught you something that may or may not be applicable. And you've got the piece of paper to prove it. And you've got the piece of paper to prove it, exactly, and a picture. <laughs> so, I, I mean, this is something I've I've been... I mean, you know, not uniquely, but thinking about and worrying about for for a while that, you know, are, are we coming to this, you know, this tipping crisis point where, you know, unless higher education thinks more deeply about the practical aspects um, and the value of degrees um, and in, this, in every sense of the word, right, return on the investment for the students, for their families, for their communities, but, mm-hmm. but also indeed, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 as you say, the practical application of, of that, that learning. Um, you know, will the next generation consider universities? You know, when, when you're, you're, particularly in the Western context, if you're thinking about, you know, the potential for, for debt, right, which is, it has to be a real concern for, for, for many people. Um, uh-huh. you're, you know, you're thinking uh-huh. about the potential of, of, well, actually, it doesn't necessarily lead to employment the way that perhaps, again, in the Western context, three or four generations ago, you're almost guaranteed. Um, you know, and in certain countries, you'd, you'd then go off and run the country because you had a university degree, right? It's, it was a, a, a fairly strong mechanism. Um, you know, whereas, you know, when that's no longer as evident and we've seen data around the world of, you know, tens of thousands of engineering students graduating simply with no jobs available, you know, are you going to have a lost generation who are going to think there's no way I'm sending my kid to a university, right? You know, and does that mean we might see an increase in the vocational aspect? You know, does that mean that university will have to respond and, and think about you know, different ways of approaching these issues or, you know, are we going to be looking, as you said, about uh, entrepreneurship? You know, I mean, uh, combination probably of the, of the different variables, but you know, where, where do you, what, what are your thoughts on, on this? Obviously, we, you and I have both been through the university sector um, and some of us have never left because um, it's, <laughs> I'm probably not qualified to, to work anywhere else, which doesn't say much about universities or me, I guess, but um yeah, so, yeah. Um, I, I wasn't going to go there, Chris, but you, you put it out there. Oh, I could, I could see it. it I could see it in your smile. You were, you were thinking it, yes. <laughs> yeah, as my supervisor used to say, um, I'm uh, educated beyond the boundaries of common sense and, and academia might be the, the safest place, place for me, yeah. <laughs> makes sense, makes sense. Now, I think that people are really going to question. I, the difficulty is that in, for better or worse, um, not only in the global north, but global south, that education is seen as um, a way out, as a way of growing and developing, as a way of getting, you know, bettering life. And it, and it is. It is it is true to an extent. But like you said, when you add into it the debt that comes with going to tertiary education, um, not only here, but also um, in, like I said, sub-Saharan Africa and, and, and South Asia, and you do have these massive cohorts of young people who aren't equipped to work because there is no work. People are living longer. There's more people staying in their jobs longer. So that natural churn isn't there. Um, I think we've all kind of bought into the illusion that higher education means a good job eventually. And it probably did back in the day when there were 
you know, a markedly less people who were going through the tertiary education system and less, less institutions. Now we have a glut of higher education institutions. We have a, then leads to a glut of students. And then you have this problem of um, disaffected and dissociated um, young people, graduates. And what is a knock-on effect for them in terms of what do they get up to rather than going into work if there is no work available? How do you then give them opportunity to do things around entrepreneurship, develop something for themselves? Um, but I think as long as we're in this mindset that higher education equals a job, people are still going to kind of sway their children to go there. Um, whether or not um, children of the next generation see that as being um, a good thing, they might turn around and say, actually, you know what, I can gain this education, I can gain these skills by doing something else, um, whether it be, like I said, through the TVET system, um, which, you know, is nothing to be sniffed at. I'm a, a fan of TVET. I think it's, it serves its purpose yeah. in that it gets people to, yeah, it gets people on the ready job skills, gets them the understanding of real world, real work experience as well. Um, I would even say, you know, the social aspect of university is they, they talk about it a lot, and that's something you can't normally get sort of anywhere else, especially if you go to a campus institution where you kind of, yeah. you know, you're all in it together in this one space. I think with TVET, because a lot of the vocation, um, vocational work is uh, personal work, so it's work where you have to interact with people. So you, you gain those mm. skills and knowledge a lot faster than you do. Um, and you gain skills and knowledge of people who maybe aren't in the same socioeconomic or demographic background as you. So I think there's a lot more sort of real world in that wider scope mm. um, when it comes to that versus in um, higher education. Because higher education is highly selective. We know this. Um, you know, it's those who can afford go. Um, so it tends to sort of gravitate around a certain kind of um, a certain kind of socioeconomic class um, just because of, you know, the affordability of it and the accessibility of it as well. Um, I think we're going to see, it's actually a really, um, Ed Holroyd-Pierce does um, a company called Virtual Internships, which allow um, young people, students actually, to um, take part in, and take part in uh, internships where they are. So rather than having to leave their towns, their villages, uh, or if they're in a city that doesn't potentially have a lot of employers, um, it allows them to gain work experience by being where they are. So I think in that model of sort of learning where you are, you know, the, the working from home model, um, you still, there's still support. It's not like they're just trying to chuck them in the deep end, but there is support around getting the young person to understand the real context of work and in a situation whereby, you know, a lot of us are doing working remotely. So that's exactly it. So, you know, you work on Slack channels, you work on Zoom, um, but it brings the learning experience to the individual rather than the individual having to go to that experience. And I think that is a very dynamic model. And I think that's something um, that is probably more akin to what work is going to look like in the next little while. Yeah. Um, I, think that's a, I think that's a very interesting model um, because we, we hear a lot about you know, recent graduates in the workforce having to be essentially retrained. You know, um, employers are looking for particular things. And you, you talked about these, you know, before creativity and communication skills and, you know, teamwork, etc. And in actual fact, the content knowledge, uh, you know, as it were, um, the, you know, that the 
the analogy you were giving about, I've taught you something, you've written it down and here's your piece of paper. That, particularly with the way people access information now and, and don't retain information because we, we simply don't have to, or, or in fact, we, we've forgotten uh-huh. how to, right? In many cases, um, uh, you know, it's interesting to think about those, you know, you, you brought up a couple of really, really key points. So one is the, is the, the practical skill development. So, you know, how you problem solve, how you take your, your theoretical knowledge and, and, and turn it into something that ultimately ben- benefits your community, right? And, um, and then the, the, the second one, as you just, recently, just most recently said, you know, you're talking about, you know, relevant skills and capabilities to the environment in which you are working, right? So you're, you're building on the job, um, but also activity-based. Um, you know, mm-hmm. can this be gained through university or is this is this a uniquely, you know, it has to be practical in, in, in the sense of, of the environment of work, however we, we define, you know, define that. And, and therefore is, as you say, is internships, you know, which are done by many universities around the world. I mean, is, is this kind of the best bridge to, to do so? I think it is because I know cooperative education, um, as is commonly known in, uh, in my native Canada, has been and was very popular, especially at the University of Waterloo, um, the university that is, um, you know, high achieving academic university has a lot to do with engineering and the sciences. And so as part of a four year undergraduate degree, if you were um, lucky enough, you also got co-op included in that. And it was a paid co-op. Um, you would then go and spend, depending on the module, you do up to, I think, six months at a time um, working for a company. So I had friends who worked in, you know, the traditional um, engineering or in accountancy who, um, so rather than it being a four-year degree, it was a five-year degree because you intersperse working bits within it. Um, And I mean, of all my friends who ended up doing that, some people only went for like sort of a, a one semester which really isn't as effective. It gives you the knowledge and, and the, the base that you need to sort of understand, but then, you know, you're still more involved in the schooling than you are in the, um, the working side of things. So, yeah, I think universities can and probably should be looking more to that model, but again, it's not so beneficial because there's no real impetus on them having to do so, especially the bigger universities whereby, you know, when you rely on... Um, having a big name and being a university that comes out with, you know, great thinkers and not so much great doers, um, there's no real incentive unless they're pushed from other forces to start making that more compulsory. If they start seeing their numbers dwindle because other universities are offering programs whereby they can actually work and learn um, and create that connection with the, um, uh, the sector, I think, it probably won't, it, I mean, it's going to change because it has to, but it won't be very quickly. As you know, universities are like tankers. They do not yeah. change and turn a course very easily um, and only do it again when the canal is blocked more than, you know, because they feel <laughs> they need to change course. Yeah. Um, yeah, so i really like to see more of that. Um, again, bringing learning to people where they are rather than trying to make everyone sort of, you know, file into cities or um, limiting it only to the kind of work that you can find in your local area. So, you know, bringing things like tech to areas that don't traditionally have very good tech hubs, bringing, um, you know, uh, healthcare to areas that don't have 
you know, massive hospitals. Maybe they only have sort of small rural hospitals, but being able to actually allow people to work within where they are, work in their space, but also just bringing those skills in there without them having to go uh, far and wide and expect them to come back. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see, given that the higher education, you know, it's, it's an enormous global sector. And as you say, that the elite ones don't have to change because of who they are, right? Or, or what they are, I guess, more accurately. Um, but there's going to be that. They represent. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, that, and that's, that's a better point because it's often the perception, um, which is where the value comes yes. from, right? And, uh, um, but I mean, there, there will be, and there are indeed, a, you know, a segment of the university, you know, spectrum where, you know, you can't rest on that sort of elite status. And so you're perhaps more mobile and more agile and, and, and maybe, you know, you can partner more readily with the private sector or maybe you can, you know, explore a little bit, a little bit more. Um, so, um, I was wondering because I wanted to to turn to to talk about uh, the work in sub-Saharan Africa. But before we do, I was just this is something you just said. I'm I'm wondering, you, you've talked about this before, and and I know it's it's come up a lot in your work. The this sort of multidisciplinary approach to skills. Like, I mean, is this, you know, could you just sort of talk us through that a little bit more in terms of where you see that the the relevance of that being within the context of what you've you know you've just been talking about? Oh yeah. Um... Again, the hardest part of it is that soft skills, as we kind of have nicely called them, are the hardest ones to teach. And, you know, the, the hard skills of like computing and, and all that, is, is, it's much easier to teach than the soft skill side of things. Um, I think we have to, nothing works in silos, but we are, especially if you think of higher education, it's very much a siloed um, system of learning. So you are an education major or you are an engineering major or you're a business major. And very often you don't have that mix of being able to take other courses and other disciplines that will then allow you that flexibility of thinking, but also being able to see, oh, wait, I can apply this science concept to this humanities bit, or I can apply this bit. To, you know, it, We don't allow those connections to be made, and that is where we lose a lot of the skills in terms of the soft skills aspect of things. And that's where, you know, if you're only doing finance or if you're only doing accounting then you know you don't have the time and the space in that learning to actually grow your soft skill repertoire so yeah the critical thinking the problem solving um you know even things around ethics and attitude like you know it's very much if you're around people who are exactly the same doing the exact same thing and it's all about figures and pushing things out um in terms of you know computations and the like and the such then there is that need to actually bridge you know what you're doing your technical aspect to something that's actually ten, uh, you know those intangible skills that we talk about yeah i remember having conversations with colleagues of you know whether you know degrees would move towards um or degree experiences would move towards things like problem solving based right so you'd have a chemist and a poet and a you know, a, a mathematician in a room and, and it'd be a case of, all right, well, solve this water issue in, you know, X location. And, and you just have to bring your your own skill base and work with a team. And I mean, you know, it's it's makes sense, I guess, in terms of the, the internship practical, but in terms of the very theoretical, traditional approach to, to learning, it's, you know, when, when a lot of academics don't talk to people in the corridor next to them, you know, talking to somebody in another department becomes, you know, and yet... You know, when we, we look at, um, you know, as, as conversations of this podcast have come up with previous colleagues, you know, when we look at problem solving that happened during COVID, 
this wasn't siloed, right? This was different people talking to yeah. different people and, and, and all sort of putting together different bits of the puzzle. Um, um, yes. Uh, yeah, 100%. And that's the thing, too. When you think about, you know, because a lot of the work that we um, have done in the past, a lot of it stems around, you know, we, we say the skills and employability agenda, but what underlies that is peace and security as well, right? Because if you have an entire generation of people who, are completely disaffected, who are not economically engaged, who are not socially engaged, then it becomes, well, what are they doing, sure. spending their time, what is actually going on? Um, and again, in, in, in the regions that I, I work with, a lot of that is the underlying aspect of it, is trying to keep people, one, from migrating, two, from violence, um, and, you know, and, and three, from, you know, just doing bad things in general. <laughs> but, I mean, can you imagine how amazing it would be to actually have like I said, a poet and a, and a social scientist and a medical doctor and an engineer together to solve these problems. Because even if you think of the grand challenges that we have, even looking at the SDGs, you know, those SDGs aren't going to be, um, not solved is not the right word, but those SDGs aren't, aren't going to be engaged with in silos because that's not the way the real world works. Mm. You know, we work across a number of things. And what you might think is, oh, this is the absolute answer someone comes in and goes, oh, did you think about this? And I was like, oh, no, actually, I didn't. Because, you know, in my degree, when we build a bridge, we build a bridge like this, and it goes from this point to this point. But, you know, you're putting that bridge in an area where no one actually uses it. Have you talked to someone who works in, you know, civil planning or, or, or um, public planning? As you can see, you know, people walk this way. They don't walk that way. So, you know, it's being able to bridge, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but yeah. to bridge those things together, essentially, yeah. and, and thinking more widely across who is the best person to come in and help me solve this or what perspectives and point of view do I need to bring in to to solve this essentially yeah I mean it's it's turning the approach the other way around right because often at the moment we're we're teaching these skills that are difficult to teach and they're very difficult to measure and assess but they are skills that we think you're going to need for a job you're going to do tomorrow which doesn't exist today so probably you're going to have to create the job yourself tomorrow based on the skills we're giving you today that may or may not have any, you know, bearing. As opposed to saying, here's a problem today. How do we solve it? And almost by solving it or attempting to solve it, you identify A, the things that you can do and the things that you can't do. And from that possibly emerges sort of a skills agenda, which is, oh, hey, we don't have enough people that know how to do whatever this thing over here is, right? And, and so let's, exactly. let's try and find somebody who can, and maybe look somewhere that we wouldn't typically look to, to find that, that problem. Um, yeah. Actually, what you're saying about looking somewhere we don't typically uh, seem to look, and that actually kind of um, segues quite nicely into the work that we were doing at MasterCard Foundation, and that part of that work actually underpins their Young Africa Works program. And it is that, you know, you've got these countries where there are a lot of educated um, young people who want to do stuff, who want to work, who want to solve problems in their area, but because a lot of the um, a lot of the publication, a lot of the reports, a lot of the information that comes out of uh, academia comes from a very limited amount of not only institutions but countries, that the work people are doing in their own areas and regions it gets overlooked as being, oh, well, it's not as good science, it's not as good this, it's not as good that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know that's that, that's part of the issue and when you think of africa um the continent as a whole i mean there's going to be about 
you know, 30 plus million uh, young people, uh, especially young women, um, who are going to be uh, of the age into the workforce. And, you know, in order to help these countries grow and develop, they need to have um, not only a country-led approach in what they're doing, but also the ability to engage with um, information and actors from other places that are going through similar things. I think we all think that, oh, you know, what's happening here is only happening here. It doesn't actually apply to anywhere else. Um, it, but, you know, these, these challenges need to be solved sort of more widely. And we have to look at not just the traditional sources of um, uh, research or the traditional sources of engagement, but we have to look at these other sources that are also available there as well. I think that's a, a bigger, a, a wider picture in terms of, you know, how do we make things more interconnected? I mean, it's, a, it's an excellent point. And, you know, even within within sort of academia itself in terms of citations and referencing, right, you know, or, or, or the validity, the validity, you know, uh, in quotation of something, yes, you know, it's, exactly. you know, back to that point you're making about, you know, perceived quality, perceived value, you know, it's, it's good because we've accepted that it's good, right? And and why have we accepted that uh-huh. it's good? Because it's been, you know, et cetera. And, and there are, of course, very valid, you know, peer-reviewed and quality underpinned. And, and, and yes, that's, but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Um, and, you know, it's the same way that, you know, if I have a PhD student, it's, it's much harder for her to publish the first paper because she has no pedigree of publishing. Well, it, uh-huh. it has no bearing uh-huh. on the, the quality of the work that she produces, but she's an unknown quantity. Or she's not. Exactly. She's a student and therefore fits a certain perception of, of what that might that might be. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and, uh-huh. and, you know, and then therefore it's, it's sort of a, a harder road rather than standing on the merit, perhaps, of, of, of the work. I'm wondering then from, you know, your, your extensive experience in, as you said, both with the MasterCard Foundation, which, which ran across... Uh, you know the Americas, and it ran through the African nations, um, and again, indeed, the the work you've done on on skills evaluation in in sub-Saharan Africa, which which encompassed you know several countries across the way. Um, how do we how do we look to build this capacity? Like, how do we how do we look to to grow? I was going to say recognize to start with, right? Recognize the capability that is there, um, and grow it to the point where it it is more its impacts can be more readily felt or more readily supported perhaps. I mean, it's, it's moving, I guess, away from aid and into development. It's moving into growth. It's moving away from, you know, dependence into, you know, partnership, right? And I'm wondering from your on the ground work, you know, talking to people in many nations, what, what your, your thoughts are on what is clearly a difficult and ongoing, um, uh, I was going to say challenge, battle, maybe, I don't know, struggle, what the proper word is, but yeah. Definitely. I think it has to, we have to take away, and this is what will be very central, the, the funder view. So funders have their own agenda in terms of what they're looking for when it comes to the various projects and programs they want to work on. It has to start from the grassroots. It has to go into the communities and say, okay, so what is it? Like, let me observe and you tell me what it is. And again, it goes back to the bridge example. I think as a funder that you need a bridge over here, but you're telling me actually go walk this way. No, but I'm telling you what's better for us is if we build a bridge over here, then we can say the bridge has been going from point A to point B. Well, we don't go to point A to point B. We go to point A to C to B. So it really is a matter of, I guess, taking away the, we know what we're doing. We're going to come in here and tell you what you need versus 
let's sit here in a room, listen to your conversations, see how you maneuver, see how you work and walk within your space, and then building from there. Um, I think that's the one thing that I've, that's, I've taken away as being not only a frustration, but also, you know, when it's done well and it's done wonderfully, you, you just walk in and you go, they get it. They see it. They see them. You know, it's one of those things whereby people want to be seen. And it's not just a matter of here, let me do this for you. It's let me see what you're doing. Let me understand what you're doing and let me do it with you. Let me walk with you um, in this sort of in that journey. Um, and that's something I think is really important. Not done enough. Um, not done well enough, but that is, that's, that's really important. And that's what's going to actually get these programs and um, get you know people to sort of uh, engage more in their communities more widely than just sort of, hi, here we are. We're going to tell you what you need. And then it's just going to stop after we stop funding in five years. We're not going to put anything in place. It's just going to be a nice little cliff edge. We'll walk away and leave you with whatever is left there, whether it be Again, even from the skills point of view, from the education point of view, from the um, design and development of, you know, roads and, and wells and structures and all that stuff, it's all well and good to go there. But if you don't equip people, if you don't do what they need, if you don't equip them to be able to manage these things themselves, then they're just lost in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering... I, I mean, I'm in complete agreement with everything you just said. I, I, don't, I don't remotely have anything to, to add. It's uh, it just, it, it occurred to me, I was wondering, you know, you're talking about obviously having, having a, almost as if it's a skill set, you know, understanding the context of others, almost as if we could, uh, we could think about how we approach this problem from a, from a innovative and entrepreneurship perspective. But I'm wondering if, you know, the point you were making before about um, uh, recognizing the value of work done in different locations and, and recognizing that actually probably they know better than the whomever the foreign is, right? Wherever the foreign comes from, um, yes. um, they have yes. local knowledge, they have contextual knowledge, they have lived knowledge. So it's, it's a, it's, they, mm -hmm. there might not be a, a solution to the problem, but hey, you know what? Nobody's got the solution to all their problems. So maybe we should stop judging um, everything in, in that in that way right and simply saying um i'm wondering though because of this you know the formal education because of the the different national mm -hmm. structures um across you know globally are we able to apply a, a when you're talking about skills evaluation are we able to apply a single framework to this or, or is this something that needs to be contextually you know developed such that we are we're not setting people up to fail by using a measurement system that simply doesn't apply, but we're actually seeking to capture within context um, capability and capacity, right? So it might not look like or, or be deemed, and certainly if you spoke to people in, in countries around the world, their interpretation of what skills or work or job is going to differ, right? And, but, you know, how do you approach sort of an evaluation of, of, of skills agenda in, in different countries? Because there, there are you know, there are obviously differences. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you capture that? And, and, or indeed, can it be captured with a single, a single mechanism? Um, not so much a single mechanism as, as much as a good methodology. So in order to know what's changed, you have to know where your starting point is. And I think a lot of times people make assumptions on the starting point and don't actually check to say, is this in fact the starting point that we think we're starting at? in order to, to, to deliver. 
I think it's also the confusion between outcomes and impact. Mm. Um, so a lot of the time, especially in the, in, in the work that we've done in the past, um, working with uh, global funders, they want they, they say, oh, you know, we want the impact. What's the impact of this? But what they really want is the outcome. They want to know how many people um, were part of this program. Were they male? Were they female? How old were they? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to know necessarily the level of what has actually changed in these people's lives. And that's something that you have to be very deliberate about, especially when doing monitoring evaluation is you have to start from a, point of so what is it we want to change and where are they to start with and then we actually look at the change over a period of time um that is i think so so it's not one necessarily one metric but it is being able to actually understand okay so what is it we think we're going to change but not only that is where are they not where do we think they are i Mm. think a lot of times we come back to the oh we think we think the problem is that they don't have enough computers no the problem is that the lights go out all the time they don't have generators. They can't, you know, um, light candles indoors because it's too small and some people are sleeping and some people are, you know. So yeah. it's what is the actual problem rather than what is the perceived problem and being able to build off of that. And then, again, not only looking for the outcomes, or the, the, the it's looking for what has actually changed and what is the change you're looking to make. Because without that level of change, things just happen. You go, okay, yeah, we had 25 people come to this um, to this event. We had, you know, 900 people who were trained. It's all well and good they were trained, but what has changed for them? What is the actual change that's happened in lives due to this training? And that's an aspect I think that people don't necessarily look at um, in terms of uh, when they're trying to measure the impact of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you said it was such a, your sigh was very heavy there, Chris. And it, it's almost like we've had these conversations before and, and you've seen exactly what, what I'm, <laughs> yeah, no, what I'm talking about. I mean, absolutely. And the sad, I guess, reality is I think almost the inbuilt inertia of this, you know, in the sense that, you know, we've, we've talked about it's, it's difficult to, in some cases, even define what skills are. It's, it's difficult to teach the, the soft skills that we've effectively accepted as being the, the primary, you know, value ones. It's difficult yeah. to measure them you know, in terms of have you t- have you actually, you know, taken them on board? And then it's very difficult to measure the extent to which the change has actually happened. It's really easy to measure a degree. It's really yeah. easy to, to put people in a given, you know, and, and therefore from a, a quantitative perspective, it's a much easier metric, right? And, um, and you know, but hey, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a university professor. I'm, I'm, I'm completely on board with the the philosophy and the concept of what universities can do, um, but I'm also aware of of you know the limitations within within the the, the sector and um, yeah I mean it's it's not an insurmountable problem obviously because it's you know it's we've we've got success stories you know in almost any country you can think of we can we can you know identify yeah. success stories um, but. You know, uh, from everything you've been saying, it's it's a cultural and, and and psychological shift. You know, it's it's about rethinking, I guess, who we are, exactly as you just said, who we are, what do we need, and what do we want to change, and then then let's find the best tools to do that, rather than saying here's a bag of tools or here's a degree or, or here's a qualification, on you go, solve problems. And you think, well, what what yeah. what problems am I looking for? Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, in the modern world, you only really have to walk outside and you'll find one, right? It's not, not we've got any shortage of problems. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting way of, of rethinking 
you know, um, who we are and what we what we should be should be doing. Um, so I guess just to maybe, you know, I was going to say sum it up. That's not right, but maybe just to you know, you know, in terms of your your thoughts on where where we might be going in this space, you know, from from everything you've seen on the ground and everything you've you, you know you're engaged with. I mean, wh- where do you think we're we're moving? Um, not next year or three years, but you know, just where's the landscape uh, in front of us? In terms of uh, skills development, or in terms of the relationship between uh, employability and higher education? Let's go with skills, because the other one worries me. <laughs> <laughs> the other one has probably a bit too many home truths uh, in it. Um, but in terms of in terms of um, skills development, um, realistically, I think it is a matter of you know the young people are going to realize. And I say young people, but it's, most people are going to realize that. It's not so much what you do in your every day to day. It's it's sort of what you take from that and how you can uh, apply it to other situations. Like I said, there is there are no sort of people who are retraining um, in their mid career years. Let's say um, you know I've had friends who were working as engineers who are now working in um, you know health and well being or teachers who now want to go into engineering. You know, it's that sense of and I think not only is it a personal thing, I think it's also a thing in terms of employers. I think when employers, you know, we're looking for someone all the time who can fill a role. And do they have these exact skills that I need to fill this exact role? Not so much, what are the skills they have that I can then turn around and teach them what they need to know about the job itself? Mm-hmm. But and then they can then take the learning that they've got from other things. It might not be directly applicable, but you know what? At least they're bringing a new perspective into the mix. And that's just so hard because, we, again, we're so concentrated on if you are an engineer, if you are a teacher, if you are a builder, the skills you have are directly related to the outcomes of your work rather than what are the skills that you actually have that make you better at what you do. Yeah. And can, you, can that builder again turn around and take those skills they have of measuring and understanding and you know, understanding materials and time and this and that and take that into the classroom? to teach kids a different way of thinking of solving various problems. And can we get that teacher who has, you know, an understanding of an in-depth concept to then turn around and take that into a space where, you know, you know, take it into an art space, let's say, and, and they'll be like, oh, actually, you never thought about doing it this way. So it is, and, and this is such a pipe dream, and it's one of those things whereby it requires more change than I have the ability to do. Um, but it is about sort of getting people to not see people in a job as they're solely able to do what that job requires, but what are the other skills and abilities that we can actually take from that and bring to other places. So um, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying that, um, you know, skills are lifelong. Skills are something that we have to be very conscious. And it's, it's difficult because in our everyday day, you just want to get your job done and then, you know, get back to your life. But um, just trying to get people to sort of keep in mind that briefcase and keep in mind the skills they've gained and the work they've done. And then, again, put that skill into that briefcase and remember it's there and remember to call on it when needed for other things as well. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, I mean, it's it's funny because you're, you're no longer maybe defining yourself as I'm a builder or I'm a teacher or I'm a, 
you know, a lawyer or an artist, right? You you are because that in in itself puts you in a briefcase, right? It puts you in a box, right? It, it creates that perception of well, this is what I do, and and that is what I do is who I am, um, as opposed to as you're saying this. Yeah, but who are you and where are you from and what skills have you learned along the way and, and how can we apply those, um, yeah, along to, to whatever problem is emerging. Um, and so that's a very hopeful message, right, to, to, to end on. Um, yeah. Um, and we managed to quietly circumvent um, <laughs> the other question. That's, that's, that's good. Um, <clears throat> we, can, we, we, can all, we can all use a little change, right? Um, yes. Indeed. That, that's the next podcast, Chris. We'll, we'll talk about higher education and employability in, in, in the next podcast when I come visit you again. So Yeah, so <laughs> that, that will just be you telling me everything that's wrong with what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, no, that seems fair. Yeah, um, we, we've, we've, had, we've had me telling you, you know, marveling at everything that you do is right. That seems to be the nice balance to, to, to that, to bring, to bring sort of harmony. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, quite right. But of course, <laughs> as an academic, I'll I'll assume that I'm right anyway, and and it won't uh, <laughs> it won't actually matter. Wonderful. But yes, um, thank you. Uh, um, yeah, thank you very much for that. That's I mean that's that's really insightful in terms of both uh, you know the the theoretical overview, of the big picture, but indeed the the practical examples that you shared from from uh, the multitude of countries in which you've which you've worked. Um, and yeah, a bridge doesn't always need to go from A to B, right? It just needs to go where it needs to go, where it's needed. So um, it's a it's a good good way exactly. to think about the think about the world. Yeah. Um, thank you very much indeed for your time, Joyce. It's a, a pleasure to to chat to you as always, and uh, hopefully it won't be that long um, before we can see each other in person again, um, wherever wherever that may may be. Um, but thank you, uh, thank you very much. <laughs>